Lindell TV brings you The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone. And, well, your timing is great. You have tuned in to the Stone Zone only minutes after the U.S. House of Representatives took a, a, a very rare and historical uh, decision to remove Speaker Kevin McCarthy from the Speaker's chair. Uh, because we are, of course, political junkies here, uh, we have been glued uh, to the television, uh, watching this blow by blow. Uh, enormous credit to Congressman Matt Gates of North Florida, who has proven to be a man of his word. Uh, you will recall in the 15 ballots it took to originally select McCarthy as speaker, uh, that it was Gates who forged uh, a final result uh, in which uh, the speaker was required to make a number of commitments in order to secure his speakership. Uh, among them, of course, uh, was uh, a commitment to single-issue spending bills instead of this omnibus um, uh, monstrosity in which all spending is approved uh, at once with very little scrutiny, uh, a commitment uh, to move towards term limits, uh, a commitment to release all, all of the government camera footage from January 6th, uh, and uh, a certain other fiscal commitments. Uh, the straw that seems to have broken the camel's back is when Speaker McCarthy went behind the back of his caucus to secretly negotiate uh, with Joe Biden and the Democrats to fund this monolith going forward. Uh, and that appears to include unencumbered financing for the deep state, the continued persecution of President Donald Trump by a rogue Department of Justice. Uh, and uh, well, even days before the vote, the Pentagon assured us that no matter what the Congress did, their pace of spending uh, on the war in Ukraine and the shipping of millions more to that nation would continue regardless of what the Congress did. So uh, this is uh, a uh, historic day. Uh, the question now is not who is not speaker, that would be Kevin McCarthy, but the question that is more difficult is who will be speaker? That means you have to find one Republican, presumably, uh, who is able to cobble together 218 votes. Not such an easy task given the deep schism within the Republican caucus. Uh, we're going to be following all of this, uh, but uh, to, uh, to kind of comment on this and then move into other topics, uh, my good friend Viva Fry, who is a shrewd observer of both the Canadian and the American political scene, uh, and he joins us now. The link so that everyone knows to come to Rumble right now. Done. Send. Sir, how goes the battle? The battle is uh, intriguing, to say the least. I mean, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm not quite prepared for the rest of our discussion because I've been so glued uh, to the action on the floor uh, of uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. But uh, I don't know anyone who has a better, more lively program on on Rumble than you do. It's been my uh, my honor to be your guest several times. I'm glad to have you back here in the Stone Zone. Roger, what's amazing is I was live and everyone was talking about whether or not um, whether or not McCarthy was going to get ousted. And now that I see that he has, and you clarified the queries that I had with my crowd as to what the points were that McCarthy allegedly violated of the initial agreement to get him a speaker. 
now we know, and, and holy crab apples, are we in tumultuous political waters? It's amazing. But no, Roger, coming out of Canada, I mean, you've been following the news. Uh, I don't know where you want to start with this. Do we start with the, the Nazis in Parliament or do we go to the Bill C-11, which now has some directives issued by the CRTC out of Canada that make it clear who they are targeting, at least for now? Let's talk about censorship first. And the reason I say that is because everyone here in America needs to understand that is whatever is happening to our brothers and sisters to the north, that is what is heading this way. They have moved from a democracy to an authoritarian government very, very quickly, whether it is uh, uh, gun owners' rights or whether it is free expression uh, and, the, uh, and the limits being put on uh, the Internet and Internet communications. Uh, it's important to recognize that anything happens in Canada is going to happen here, or at least those who have who have been able to effectuate it in Canada will seek to do it here. So um, for for warned is forearmed, I guess. Uh, I was uh, first started talking about this back when Canada passed uh, Bill C-18, the so-called Online News Act, back in August. That was kind of the beginning of this uh, draconian situation. Walk through for my viewers and listeners uh, exactly what's going down here in terms of strangling free speech. Well, I mean, some might say that it even started back in the day with Bill C. I think it was C-16 at the time. It's the bill that put Jordan Peterson on the map, which was, you know, criminalizing, according to his concerns, certain speech as relates to gender expression and gender identity. That was when they amended the criminal code to add, among other things, gender identity, gender expression as aggravating factors for certain crimes. Jordan Peterson said at the time, this is going to result in compelled speech. It will be, I don't know, a, a hate crime harassment if you misgender someone, if you don't call them by whatever their preferred pronouns of the day are. He proved a prophetic in that there was a case coming out of British Columbia, two cases. One where the cops were found guilty of you know uh, harassing a transgender person by allegedly misgendering them, but there were more facts to that story than just that element. There was a restaurant that was fined tens of thousands of dollars by a human rights tribunal for purportedly harassing a uh, gender non-conforming employee. That was back then. Now they've, they've moved into other realms now. And so what we're talking about now, which has been the news, is Bill C-11, which is the whatever comes after the Bill C-10, which was the Online Streaming Act, which was an attempt back in 2020 to 2021 to govern online streaming the way radio and television is governed in Canada under the Broadcasting Act, the Broadcast Act. And that is to say, in Canada, radio television is governed by a specific law that creates certain requirements for Canadian content, uh, you know, uh, fees that are due, penalties if you don't abide by the provisions of that, of that, of that law. And it applied to radio and television. The governing body or was this thing called the CRTC, the, I want to say the Canadian Radio Telecommunications uh, Commission, something along those lines. They tried to pass it under Bill C-10, but it died before, it died because they called an election and whatever progress that uh, legislation was at ended. They had a new legislative uh, session come in and then they ran it through as Bill C-11. And what it attempts to do, and now what it effectively does, because it passed, is govern the internet the way radio and television is governed in Canada. And they said, well, look, it's only intended to apply to online streaming because, you know, internet is the new television. And Cripe, we want to make sure that we are promoting Canadian content, getting our <laughs> financing taxes, fees, where we can get them. And so we're going to go and govern them. The concern was it was going to um, affect people's individual social media accounts. And so there was an exclusion originally included in Bill C-11 that said, this is going to apply to online streaming services, but not individual social media users' accounts like Viva Fry YouTube channel uh, and other such things. In the dead of the night, as typically happens, this is also under COVID where people are confused and distracted, the Liberal government removed the exclusion uh, by way of amendment. So they removed the inclusion of the exclusion, which specifically said this will not apply to individual social media users' accounts. And when people started making hay over this, Gilbo, Stephen Gilbo, at the time the Minister of Heritage, 
it's worth noting who was also a convicted criminal for um, eco eco activism back in the day when he scaled the CN Tower. He was the Minister of Heritage at the time, says, no, 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 we're not going after individual users accounts. This is only for people acting like broadcasters for broadcasters, yada, yada, yada. When pressed on why they removed the exclusion, which would have confirmed that, he had no good answer except for hemming and hawing. Come fast forward when we have our new Minister of Heritage, Pablo Rodriguez. They said, yeah, we're going to come after you if you act like a broadcaster. They passed Bill C-11. And now um, this law exists and nobody knows exactly how it's going to be implemented because this is sort of like the Chevron uh, deference in the states. You know, the bodies that administer the law are now going to be called upon to set out the parameters of the application of the law. So nobody knows what this law is going to look like in practice until such time as the, CR the CRTC, the governing body, issues directives as to how they're going to implement this law, which is where we're at now. Pablo Rodriguez, the new Minister of Heritage, says, don't worry about it. The CRTC is going to tell us how this law that we just passed is going to be uh, uh, implemented, kind of like Pelosi's, we have to pass the bill to see what's in it. We've passed the law. Now we're going to see the scope of the law. We're going to ask the governing body to issue its own directives as to how it's going to implement this law. And one of the guidance that they just came out with this week is that podcasters or podcasting platforms that generate more than $10 million in revenue annually need to register with the government. What does that mean? For the time being, addresses, company name, uh, identities, et cetera, et cetera. And people are sounding the alarm that this is just absolute censorship, um, absolute you know, suppression of innovation on the internet. Now, podcasters or podcasting platforms, if they generate more than 10 million in revenue, need to register with the government. How can this possibly go badly? You got your government propagandists. Oh, sorry, I heard, I heard something there. No, go okay. ahead. Uh, you got, okay, and I'll, I'll finish it with this and then you'll, you'll ask whatever questions you have. You have your government pro, uh, propagandists at the CBC saying, this isn't censorship, although legal minds like Michael Geist, who's a, a law professor analyst says, this, this, this can very well lead to some censorship. Um, they say, oh, you know, it only applies to, you know, big podcasters and platforms if they generate more than 10 million in revenue. It doesn't take a Nostradamus to know this is not going to be limited to 10 million in revenue for very long. It'll go 10 million, 5 million in revenue, 1 million in revenue. And then one day sooner than later, if you have a broadcast on the internet, you're going to have to register because this law is about money and control. And they start with a threshold that some people will tolerate because it doesn't get them. And then before you know it, they're swept up in this. It's, it's, it's regulation of the internet, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, it is very clearly uh, a, a slippery slope. It reminds me of Ronald Reagan, who used uh, to mock the government by saying, I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. Uh, I, I don't think this is the case. How are giant companies like Google and Meta uh, reacting to this kind of uh, regulation? So th this legislation, I don't know that they've had any specific response yet that I know mostly it's been... Um, Glenn Greenwald's of the world's journalists saying this reeks of censorship, suppression, uh, absolute totalitarian regime controlling the free speech of Canada, if not by by regulating it or controlling it by making a list. Um, but the Googles and the Metas, they took issue with the, um, I forget what bill it was, they're just ramming through laws, but it was called the link tax or it was dubbed the link tax. And that was another piece of legislation out of Canada again designed to prop up failing Canadian media by saying platforms have to pay a link tax merely by linking to the sources. So you, you share a link on Facebook, you Google a story and Google presents results and you link, you click the link and go to it. Google and Facebook meta have to pay a link tax to the source to which they are directing traffic. And um, someone's going to, you know, in the chat, know which 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 particular number law this is, but it's dubbed the link tax. Google and Meta said, "Piss off, no thank you. Um, we're not paying a link tax simply by directing traffic to the, the the actual link, the actual website. the The idea to it was sometimes Google, Facebook, they share enough of the original story that people don't actually have to go to the original source, so they sort of deprive it, deny it, siphon traffic away from the original source." But this piece of legislation now compels Google and Meta 
just to pay a link tax for linking through to the source. Who's that going to benefit? You can bet your sweet bippies it's probably going to benefit Canadian legacy media and not independent media. And Google and Meta said, no, we're not doing it, We're period. And we're just not going to link through to news outlets in search engines or allow people to share the links on social media platforms. Then the government, Pablo Rodriguez, the Minister of Heritage, comes in and says, well, that's great. We're not going to we're not going to um, we're going to pull advertising, federal advertising from Google and Meta, thinking you can treat these uh, big tech giants like you can treat global news, CTV news and say, pull our, you know, carry our government water or we pull the ads that you so need to survive. Google and Meta don't need it. I think that like federal ad dollars represents like a quarter of a percent or a fraction of a percent. So they say, no, thank you. But you see the, how the modus operandi works. The government subsidizes directly and indirectly Canadian media. And if they don't play ball, well, they threaten or they do with them what they threaten to do with Google, but it actually works with other outlets. And so you can see how this sort of, um, it's not necessarily extortion, but buyout works. Um, carry, you know, do our bidding for us or we pull government funding and Google and Meta don't need it. And they say, piss off, it's not even worth our time. And now you have restrictions to actual news links and outlets in Canada where Canadians don't even know that they're not even getting access to the news, but where that type of pressure actually works on the more financially destitute um, entities like legacy media who now say, okay, well, we'll play ball with the government. Just don't pull your, your, your advertiser dollars. Yeah, I think it's uh, forward looking in a certain sense by the Canadian government, because of course, uh, viewership of broadcast television uh, even broadcast of cable continues to drop worldwide as well as in Canada and the United States. And the Internet uh, is the future. It is where it is. You prove that every single day. Uh, tell me before we get into uh, the Nazis being fe uh, fated in your uh, parliament, which is really hard to believe. Give me your overall assessment, if you will, uh, of the Trudeau government. Uh, the worst government on earth, the worst human on earth. I, I mean, I don't, I guess there's, there are worse people out there who do, I don't materially worse things. My grandmother always said, if you've got nothing nice to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. But when you're dealing with someone who is, if not single-handedly in concert with other powers, absolutely destroying a country, you've got to vocalize why it is that they are the most destructive evil forces our country has ever seen. You're talking about a government that has done more to divide and demonize Canadians than anyone in, in my lifetime, and I think any any anyone in Canadian history. Well, it, it'll segue into the Nazis in Parliament because you have a government that demonizes its own citizens for not submitting themselves to what is now confirmed medical experimentation because it's now been confirmed through court documents, through depositions in federal court filings, that in Canada, we're in phase three of the Pfizer jab clinical trial, which ends in December 2023. So we have been the victims of actual real-time human experimentation in Canada at the coercion of the federal government. You have a, a, a prime minister who has gone out of his way to call people extremists, conspiracy theorists, anti-vaxxers, people who should we tolerate their, their presence in society for not willingly but um, unknowingly submitting to human medical experimentation. He, he's simply the worst person on uh, in the history of Canada, period. His government is liberal in name and tyrannical in, in deed. Um, so the state of Canada, I got nothing nice to say about him. I, I actually deeply loathe him. Um, and there has to be some political retribution for the destruction that he's caused. But you got human experimentation on citizens, financing the media to bridge this gap, to, to, to foment this gap. CTV News, that's like a Canadian news outlet. They just came out yesterday on Twitter and said, has the way Canadians treat each other changed over COVID? And I'm like, I pulled up four quick articles of CTV News and CBC's not any different, talking about taxing the unvaccinated, how you shouldn't invite the unvaccinated over for holidays, how you should snitch on your neighbors during COVID. And I'm like, you're asking this question seriously when you've been subsidized by the government to promote this rubbish. I forget the question, but I, I got nothing nice to say. I, it's, it's Canada is headed in in the absolute wrong direction at the absolute wrong speed, like 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 plaid speed out of spaceballs, and they 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 destroy 
um, you know, basic cohesion, social cohesion of a country while jamming down legislation that is nothing more than censorship, nothing more than an indirect way to further subsidize and prop up the failing media. I, I said this at the time, the Streaming Act, the Online Streaming Act, it has nothing to do with Canadian content. They they like to, they pretend it has to do with protecting Indigenous content. I should say protecting Indigenous content. Put the quotes in the wrong place. They use minorities as shields for their tyranny. The Online Streaming Act has nothing as an objective other than propping up the failing Canadian media, giving them a leg up and um, you know, suppressing their competitors, which are kicking their asses on the internet. And so you enact this online streaming act and um, the, 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 the link tax, and you basically make it more difficult for independent media to do their job. When Google and Meta pull their search results, they're not penalizing global news. They're not penalizing CBC news. They're not penalizing CTV because those have government brand recognition in Canada. Who are they penalizing? Rebel News, Post Millennial, Viva Fry. If my search results don't come up, people don't know to look for me. When people don't get the results they want, they know just to go to cbc.com because that's the Canadian media outlet. So all of these laws are an indirect way of further subsidizing the flailing state propaganda, propping them up on a platform where they are getting their asses handed to them because they suck. They're, everyone knows that they're liars and propagandists. And so in order to in order to level the playing field in which they're losing, they've got to penalize the people who are kicking their butts. Well, and all of this has happened at the same time that essentially the government has legalized all drugs, in essence, uh, and also seems to be restricting firearms owners' rights in a largely rural country in which a number of Canadians actually have to rely on their firearms for hunting and food. Uh, it seems to me to be a toxic mix, no? The, the firearms debate... The, the amazing thing is they've gone so far with that that it's actually come back to the political fore where people are saying, why should I not be allowed to own a firearm for self-defense? The restrictions on firearms have been in effect for so long, and they're, it's the only the extent is being discovered now. But, you know, you can only own a long arm. Small arms, um, you can't own those. You um, can only have five magazine limits, a five-round magazine in a hunting rifle. And now they want to restrict the types of hunting rifles that you can get. And you cannot own a firearm for the purposes of self-defense. I don't think people fully appreciated this before, but they certainly appreciate it now. And so now, because they've gone so wildly overboard and exploited of the COVID pandemic to jam through orders and councils, restrictions that don't go through any legislative process, people are now starting to question whether or not this, is, this makes sense in the first place. Why can we not own firearms for the purposes of self-defense? So it, it is the nature of these uh, overreaches, they become so big that at some point they start to wake up, even the people who didn't have issue with the the more subtle overreaches. But yeah, the, the firearm debate, it doesn't exist in Canada. You can't own a, smile, a small firearm, a, a, a side, or, you know, a pistol, without a special license that you can only get under the most stringent of circumstances. You can't own a firearm, a long arm, without taking a course, getting a background check, and even then, you cannot own it for self-defense. Five round uh, limits per magazine. Uh, you you can't keep it loaded. You have to keep it with your um, ammunition stored separately from the firearm. You have to have a trigger lock on it. So self-defense in Canada has been basically criminalized. Uh, although you can defend yourself, but do it with a firearm and you, you'll end up in a, in a ton of trouble. And you cannot say, I want a firearm for home self-defense. They will you will simply be rejected in the application process. But the good thing is they've gone so far, people are starting to ask questions that they were not asking five years ago. Well, and on top of it all, if you own a firearm, it must be registered with the government. They have to know that you own it, uh, which is uh, that's draconian uh, in in its own right. You know, there's a very famous Watergate era tape. Uh, in which President Richard Nixon is speaking to his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger. Uh, and in that conversation, Nixon says, well, Henry, uh, I met Pierre Trudeau today. Uh, and Kissinger said, well, Mr. President, what did you think? Uh, and Nixon said, Henry, he's the biggest asshole I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, that is uh, historically completely accurate. It appears to me that the acorn has not fallen very far from the tree. So uh, since we're going to get into the pop culture here, 
What do you think of the widespread speculation uh, that uh, that Justin Trudeau may well, in fact, be the actual son uh, of Fidel Castro uh, and his mother, uh, Margaret Trudeau? Well, I mean, I, look, I've seen the pictures and it's very easy to find two matching pictures where people are in similar poses. No one would ever mistaken me for Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, for example. But, you know, Howard Stern, maybe. So someone could say, hey, Viva's the, uh, you know, the, 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 the love child of Weird Al Yankovic. And you could probably find images where we look similar. Hey, if he's the son of Fidel Castro or Justin Trudeau, uh, he's got either a, a an immoral philanderer of a father or he's got a, a communist dictator of a father. It, I've seen the photos of the way Margaret Trudeau, who, from what I understand of history, was a known philanderer, staring lovingly at Fidel Castro. Okay. Sure, you can always capture a picture that doesn't tell the true story. What do I think of it? It's hilarious. It's all there's uncanny resemblance in a number of photographs. At the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference because father on paper or actual potential father, they're both um, people whom Justin Trudeau probably replicates their behavior more than they should, more than he should. And it doesn't change anything, you know, that his father was known for being an asshole. I mean, he certainly hasn't fallen far from the tree one way or the other because he is a fundamentally immoral person. He's uh, the most exploitive person on earth, you know, as he's getting divorced and announces his divorce and demands privacy for him and his family and his children. The, the very same week or a few days later, he's posting pictures of his son, hashtag Team Barbie, subjecting his son to the scrutiny of the Internet, picture of his daughter, him at a movie. So respect our privacy while I use my children as political pawns, political you know, shields and swords at the same time. Um, and then he goes and celebrates the the, the Indigenous Day. You know, the, the last time he skipped uh, the uh, National Truth and Reconciliation Day to go surfing in Tofino, he learned from his mistake. Then, what does he do now? You know, front line takes his kid, goes to a protest, and poses there with his with his face because he's the center of attention, and it's got to be all about him, like a true narcissist. Got nothing nice to say about him, except for the fact that one day he will be out of political power, and Christian Freeland should be following him out with that scandal of them inviting uh, and giving a standing ovation to an actual Nazi soldier in parliament and then telling us don't politicize it like a bunch of shameless hypocrites. Uh, we'll get to that in one second. Let me just say this past weekend I was in Venice, Florida, uh, and I met a man who using family photographs absolutely convinced me that he is the half brother of Justin Trudeau, meaning they share a common mother. That would be Margaret Trudeau, who most definitely, as they say, got around. So uh, I think that the possibility uh, that he is the son of Fidel Castro, whose politics he certainly shares without any question, uh, is a very real possibility. Uh, on the Rumble live chat, we had a lot of questions about it. So I had to ask you about it as our favorite uh, authority on all things Canadian. Now, let's get, get to this new scandal because it seems to me it's not just a question of a Nazi being honored uh, on the floor of your parliament, but it seems to have opened a much broader question about how many Nazis located to Canada after World War II uh, and why. How in the world did this all go down? It, it's, it's, it raises that question as well but again it also brings to the international fore what exactly is the west financing uh unquestioningly for as long as it takes in ukraine and i, I think the, the biggest trouble trudeau's going to get into is with the international communities he, he might have just you know put a bit of a wet blanket on this endless money laundering through ukraine but we'll, we'll get to that in a second how is it that an actual nazi former SS, uh, what was it, Grenadier, 14th Grenadier Division in Ukraine, was invited into Parliament, given two standing ovations, and nobody knew, nobody understood what was going on. The context. This is when Zelensky's coming through the West asking for, you know, 25 more billion from the states who've already given 135 billion. I don't know how much more from Canada that's already, I think, given six or nine billion dollars. And so they're hosting Zelensky as the guest of honor or like whatever the whatever the title they gave him to come to parliament uh you know everyone's taking their photo ops with him christian freeland lovingly hugging Zelensky. they get their their photo op justin trudeau you know it, they're parading him around 
Canada like a hero so that he can, you know, we can feel morally justified in sending another few billion dollars over to Ukraine. As as part of this ceremony, while Germany's in attendance at, at Parliament, they invite a, a guest of honor, somebody whose name nobody knew probably until now, Yaroslav Kunka, a 98-year-old individual who, as the Speaker of the House introduced him, valiantly and bravely, heroically, fought the Russians in 1943. These, these, and I'm calling them idiots because they're idiots. These idiots are so oblivious to historical context that whether or not they knew Yaroslav Hunka by name, and I think many of them did because he's been here for a long time and he's got a bit of a history in Canada, whether or not they knew him by name, whether or not they knew the 14th Grenadier Division by name, the fact that none of them understood for one bloody second that even if they have made Russia to be the villain number one today, they were allies during World War II, and someone who fought our allies during World War II was part of the Axis, fighting with the Nazis, fighting with Japan, fighting with Mussolini, um, Italy. The fact that they didn't put that together in real time makes them idiots. The fact that I know, I mean, in as much as I can know something without having written confirmation, they knew damn well who this guy was. You have Zelensky in the crowd. It's not like he doesn't know. Uh, who Hunka was or what the 14th Grenadier SS was. It's not like they don't know. It's not like Krista Freeland, who has uh, grandfather ties to Nazism, doesn't know. It's not like Justin Trudeau does not know who comes into the House of Parliament. For them to pretend they didn't know makes them idiots at best, but they knew. And then you get the conservatives, who I'm not letting off the hook either all that easily, standing ovation because they're a bunch of clapping barking seals in a circus they don't know what they're doing but they're playing a role oh we're told this guy's a hero let's all clap like a bunch of morons not understanding the historical context that someone who fought the russian allies back in world war ii is would not be a hero by standards then or today and so that they do this so i forget who broke the story i know ezra levant um from rebel news put it a bit on blast and then i uh, i took over from there <laughs> Um, then it goes international and they must never be allowed to forget this and they must never be forgiven for this because this is not a mistake that is forgivable. In the wake of this, they throw their house speaker, uh, Anthony Rota, the, 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 the speaker of the house, under the bus. It was his responsibility and his responsibility alone to have invited and vetted this guest and so he must fall on the sword. Horse crap, like of the highest order. Justin Trudeau comes out what did he say the day of? Blamed it on Russian propaganda and Russian disinformation. He said, it's deeply embarrassing that this happened to all, we're all very, it's embarrassing to all of us that we allowed this to happen, but uh, we can't allow Russian propaganda, or we can't allow it to be weaponized and exploited by Russian propaganda and Russian disinformation to suggest somehow that Russia is responsible for this egregious act. Um, I mean, the, 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 it's it's a bottomless pit of stupidity, corruption, incompetence, and moral depravity. Um, but it's good. They've, they've really, they've put it on the international scene, and I promise to keep it on blast for as long as anybody will listen. Uh, you've had an incredible impact with this story. You may not even be aware of how great the impact is. It has had enormous impact, I think, across the country. We have a short video. Let's uh, throw that up. I hope. <laughs> All right. This is our our video of Parliament. Oh, that, okay. That is this is going to be the moment. Zelensky's speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. There was also one for this man, a 98-year-old Ukrainian Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War. Uh, really quite uh, extraordinary. Um, I can tell you that in this country, uh, the downward trajectory of public support for the war in Vietnam took a long time. Uh, you're beginning to see now in the United States and I think in other places in the West, uh, as well as, for example, Poland, uh, where fatigue is setting in. Uh, I think more and more Americans realize that the barrage of war propaganda that would have Americans believe 
that the Ukrainians are kicking the daylights out of Russia, that Russia is on its last legs. Uh, no military expert that I have conferred with confirms uh, that at all. In fact, it appears to me like the Ukrainians are quickly running out of ammunition uh, and that their so-called offensive seems to have virtually collapsed. And of course, the answer to Uncle Sam is send more money. Uh, you have already seen the implications in today's vote in the U.S. House of Representatives. That is an early indicator of fatigue uh, with this money train to Ukraine. Uh, do you agree with me that over time, uh, that support for the effort in Ukraine is going to continue to wane? I, I, I think it's already there, but I, that I might feel this way because I live in my own Twitter social media silo. But you see it in, in I think you see it on a day-to-day -day, um, basis now where people are, how much for how long? What I just, what drives me nuts, I don't understand how people have even believed the narrative for this long. We're talking about the same government. I mean, we can go back however many years, you know, weapons of mass destruction to support that war and it was lies. Um, you know, 2016 Russiagate, the government and media across the world lies. Then you get into COVID and it's lie after lie after lie. But now all of a sudden you either have the same gullible buffoons buying into this narrative without questioning it. And I, I think they're maybe coming to a little bit like why, when have we ever been involved in conflict in which we said no negotiations? And, and I, I think people are becoming very much sensitive to the fact that this is an obvious, clear, and I'll, I'll say outrageous proxy war that the West is fighting with the blood of Ukrainian soldiers and Ukrainian civilians, telling you lie after lie after lie about how it's going to be over in a matter of weeks, how the Ukrainians are, 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 are beating Russia and now there's discussion as to whether or not they're going to start conscripting uh, fighting-aged women aged 18 to 60. And and you and you hear of the casualties where you're just sending off young men to a meat grinder because you don't want to sit down and discuss and negotiate with someone who you branded as Hitler in terms of global aspirations because you lied about that as well. So I think the money is one thing. You see Lahaina burning to the ground. It could be rebuilt for the money that has been misplaced in Ukraine. And then people finally start understanding, what is it that you're funding in Ukraine? I pulled up an article on my channel yesterday or the day before. People don't even know what you're funding. You're funding small businesses in Ukraine whose, whose, whose businesses have been interrupted by the war. You're, you're, you're financing the mansions of these corrupt uh, politicians in the Ukrainian regime. You're funding Ukraine's economy which they say is shrunk by like, I don't know, 30 some odd percent. You're funding Ukrainian economy, Ukrainian small businesses, where you're not even building back the homes of your own citizens that burnt down in a fire and you speak nothing of that. I think people are finally realizing the degree of neglect back home is uh, you know, directly correlated to the degree of attention and financing of international conflict abroad. And they hopefully, or finally started to say, enough is enough. We've got people in the streets. We've got people dying by the tens of thousands of drug overdoses. We've got a border that needs securing. So stop sending our money over there and start taking care of us. And maybe have the discussions that you should have had that were open to in February 2022, instead of fighting to the last Ukrainian, your proxy war against Russia. Uh, meanwhile, as you know, uh, President Zelensky has a palatial $3.8 million condominium in Miami, Florida. Who knows, Viva? Perhaps you and I will be invited by for a cocktail sometime soon. All right. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank you. Tell people where they can see your terrific daily show because you are knocking them dead here on Rumble. Well, thank you very much. I don't have a schedule. So if people like schedules, you'll be disappointed. But pretty much daily on Rumble, Viva Fry, uh, the uncensored potty mouth Viva on Twitter is at the Viva Fry. And um, and we have our great Sunday show with Robert Barnes uh, every Sunday, six o'clock. And that's the, you know, the big show of the week where we go over all the, all the big stuff where we will be going over what just happened uh, in Congress today, next week. So that's where it is. Viva Fry pretty much everywhere. Uh, the great Robert Barnes, uh, to my mind, literally one of the most brilliant legal minds in the United States, a man for whom I have enormous respect, as I do for you. 
Uh, I want to thank you for joining the Stone Zone today. And I have promised you that I will get down to see you uh, in Miami to do your show soon. And uh, my word on that is good. I look forward to it. Thank you for bringing us up to date. Again, people of America, anything you see happening in Canada, please recognize that those policies, that that attitude, that that authoritarianism is headed this way. Uh, that's why today's discussion was so very important. Viva Fry, thank you so much for joining us thank in you. the Stone Zone. Thank you. Uh, thanks uh, to our, our guest. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to remind you that all of our programming here is brought to you by the great folks at MyPillow.com. Now, uh, I'm not going to rest until every single person who is watching uh, the Stone Zone has purchased their very own MyPillow 2.0. So first of all, when you go to MyPillow, uh, you, they sell far more than just pillows and far more than bedding. But when you do go there, please remember to use promo code STONE. That's right, promo code STONE. Now, I know when you watch uh, frankspeech.com or Lindell 1 or 2 or any other uh, of the fine alternative conservative media outlets out there. There are many good people urging you to use uh, their promo codes, uh, but uh, please uh, consider using ours. It is the only compensation we get from doing this show on a daily basis. We try to bring you some of the most cutting edge political uh, and newsworthy commentary out there, uh, but it would not be possible without your loyal patronage at MyPillow.com. Uh, now, if you saw that great uh, deposition with Mike Lindell, one of my favorite people in the entire world, uh, some call him crazy pillow guy. I call him my friend uh, and one of the finest Christian gentlemen I've ever met. His life story is an inspiration. I've read his biography. This is a man who came back from extraordinary adversity uh, and drug addiction to be the leading entrepreneur, businessman, free speech advocate, and election integrity advocate in the United States. Uh, and he is deserving as of your support as well. But in that deposition, of course, as some smart-ass left-wing lawyer representing one of the voting machine companies accused Mike of selling lumpy pillows. That is an insult. Mike Lindell's pillows are anything but lumpy. In fact, his new MyPillow 2.0, this is the greatest pillow he has ever produced. Why? Well, because the MyPillow 2.0 uses uh, uses a uh, new patented cooling technology, which keeps the pillow cool to the touch all the time. Uh, you don't have to keep flipping the pillow over through the night to get a great night's sleep. Uh, and now, originally, as you can see, the deal was for $89.98. Mike Lindell sent you your all-new MyPillow 2.0. By the way, the first new pillow that he's produced in 25 years, uh, and he was throwing in one for free. But now we have a much, much better offer, uh, and that is the MyPillow 2.0 four-pack. Uh, the four-pack uh, allows you to get four of these uh, revolutionary new pillows uh, at a low price, I believe, of $98.99. Uh, uh, that's an original cost of, I think, $258. So please, folks, uh, go to MyPillow.com. Now, it's not just about pillows, whether it is the MyPillow dog beds suitable for cats as well, or the MyPillow pet blankets, or the all-season slippers, or the MyPillow sandals, or the uh, men and women's moccasin slippers, a uh, great favorite of my good friend, Officer Salvatore Greco, uh, who is slugging it out with the New York City Police Department, where he has been unfairly and outrageously terminated strictly because he is a friend of mine. Meanwhile, uh, the police commissioner and the mayor of New York City continue to consort with known criminals in violation of their own regulations, but they're not being punished like Sal Greco. Uh, or whether it is the uh, waffle blankets or the throw blankets or the scarves 
or any of the great products at MyPillow.com, uh, of this one thing you can be absolutely assured. When it comes to quality, Mike Lindell is a tyrant. He may seem like the nicest guy you've ever met, but when it comes to the quality of what he sells and putting his name behind it, there is no product at MyPillow.com on which he himself has not conducted an extensive due diligence to ensure that he is bringing you the very best. So please, folks, uh, I hate to beg, but I must. Uh, we need your support uh, to keep the lights on here, uh, to keep uh, paying our legal bills. As I mentioned uh, in the show earlier, Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, pardon me, Hunter Biden's lawyers have just uh, sent me a subpoena. Uh, this pertains to some cockamamie theory they have that uh, that the laptop contents somehow passed through my hands on their way to Rudy Giuliani in uh, the New York Post. It is an egregious, vicious lie based in nothingness. It is harassment, but it does mean I have to go retain a Delaware attorney in order to quash uh, this fishing expedition and hopefully, frankly, seek uh, sanctions against the wise house left-wing lawyers who have filed it against me. All right, uh, there's been a lot of comment about yesterday's show uh, because people, I think, are rightfully very angry at the way President Donald Trump is being treated in a New York courtroom uh, where a, a Tammany Hall politicized judge has undervalued all of his assets in a fugazi claim that Trump uh, lowered the value of his assets in order to uh, get loans uh, and other advantages from banks. Uh, there are no banks suing. There are no victims. The banks uh, were paid back in full at very handsome interest rates. The banks use their own law firms and their own due diligence. There is no crime here. This is an effort to harass Donald Trump, to force him to uh, break up his uh, real estate empire, to take away his business licenses, perhaps even to seize his properties and liquidate them. But many people asked us uh, why Trump is not pursuing or not entitled uh, to a jury trial. We have a great interview here with Trump impeachment lawyer David Schoen, who I think sheds some light on those questions. David Schoen, former Trump David impeachment Schoen. lawyer. Uh, David, let's still uh, start with you on the on the legal case here, which I find uh, extraordinarily weak. What do the people need to understand in layman's terms about right. how lame this is and how dangerous this is? Let me focus on the danger of it, because you've hit the nail on the head with that and with the word extraordinary. This case is brought under New York Executive Law 6312. It gives the attorney general a politically partisan elected official, in this case extremely partisan, um, incredibly broad powers to ruin a life, ruin a career, etc. Um, then the case is assigned to a Trump-hating judge, also politically uh, appointed, uh, politically elected. And if you uh, read a news article that appeared this weekend, he's shown a consistent antipathy against real estate developers during his entire career. Now, many people say, well, why is a judge deciding it, not a jury? The judge said earlier today that that's not his fault. No one asked for a jury trial. That's a bit disingenuous. It is true that President Trump's lawyers could have asked for a jury trial under Section 4102 of the New York CPLR, their rules. However, there's a case from 2011 that said under this executive law, 6312, there was no right to a jury because it's equitable, is asking for injunctive relief, not damages. That's simply not true. They're talking about stripping Donald Trump of hundreds of millions of dollars, taking away a brand exactly. that's not just a New York brand, it's an international brand. But today, at least, it seems the judge finally got a clue on what's going on here, because they tried to take things back to 2011, and the Court of Appeals said nothing before 2014. So we'll see how it plays out. But you're right, it's extraordinarily dangerous. Mueller's former buddy, Andy Weissman, he doesn't believe Trump even has a defense in this case. Watch this. In many ways, this trial's over. Um, the judge has already ruled on the first of the claims against Donald Trump and his sons and his businesses. He's already lost um, with huge financial consequences um, that this judge has imposed. David, you could sense the glee coming from that odious creature's voice. Yeah, um, your I, response. 
I don't credit anything that Andrew Weissman says. I've had experience with him. He's the most ethically bankrupt prosecutor I personally have ever dealt with, in my view. Um, so I don't credit anything he says. But one thing he's right about is this judge has usurped the role of experts in this case. The judge lost all credibility when he said Mar-a-Lago should have been valued at $18 million. He left out a few zeros. There's not a person on the face of the earth that would think Mar-a-Lago was valued at $18 million and therefore was overvalued on its stated value. That's just one example. But back to the, you know, the timing you mentioned in your opening monologue. That's what proves the point about this, um, the agenda going on here. Donald Trump's been in business for decades, built his brand around the world. It's not coincidental that this case is brought with the four criminal indictments that are now brought during election season. There's nothing coincidental about it. It's all intentional. And we see all of the rules suspended. There are case, there's case law, Gansler case, and others that say a prosecutor can't speak this way to influence right. the public all of the time. They get this uh, Attorney General James and the district attorney in New York have gotten away with anything they want to say. And then they, you know, scream bloody murder and want a gag order. They put out these speaking indictments in the cases. Oh, Trump can't speak, though. That's yeah, right. Trump can't speak, but they, they never shut their mouths. An excellent analysis uh, by David Schoen. You may remember him. Uh, he has appeared here at the Stone Zone uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, has also been my on my WABC uh, radio show. Uh, one of the most knowledgeable legal minds uh, in the country. Uh, I want to remind people that this is just the beginning, meaning this is a civil case. Even today, uh, when uh, President Trump pointed out that one of the clerks uh, in this court uh, had a relationship, I believe, with Senator one of Senator Schumer's uh, relatives. Uh, the judge gagged him. Uh, this was obviously meant as proof of the politicization uh, of this court. Uh, there is a motion pending uh, in the District of Columbia in the action involving Special Counsel Jack Smith uh, that would provide a much broader gag on uh, President Trump in which he could not defend himself uh, or question the political motives of his prosecution. Um, I have been in this particular position. I believe that the gag order imposed on me was unconstitutional. I also think there was an undue burden as I waited for eight months for the appeals court to decide whether or not that was the case. Ultimately, they didn't decide. They kicked it back to the trial judge saying that uh, the matter was not ripe to be decided uh, because I had not first asked the trial judge to remove the gag order that she was the one who had put in place. Uh, by that time, of course, I had sustained extraordinary damage at the hands of CNN, MSNBC, uh, and particularly the Washington Post, the dominant media outlets uh, in the jurisdiction where I was to be tried. Welcome uh, to the District of Columbia. Uh, President Donald Trump still facing uh, lawfare uh, in Georgia uh, in a ridiculous case uh, where he is being charged essentially with questioning the outcome of that election based on very substantial irregularities, whether the president's lawyers will be allowed to introduce uh, evidence of election fraud in his defense. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, there is also, of course, the Florida documents case. Uh, this one's a head scratcher, too, because a federal judge, in, the, in this case, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who actually sat in my trial, uh, has argued that under the 1974 Presidential uh, Documents Act, uh, the president, a president, can do anything with his personal documents that he wishes. But perhaps that law is just for Bill Clinton, uh, who was uh, the subject of that litigation, uh, and it doesn't stand for Donald Trump. As my friend David Schoen says, uh, you have to remember the Trump exception. That means in the case of any legal president or precedent or any law, the law is somehow different or applied differently for Donald Trump. Uh, here, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a politician, and here is my prediction based on the last 48 hours. The American people see through what is happening here. Uh, they recognize that Donald Trump has built an extraordinarily successful uh, real estate company. They realize uh, that in these allegations, there is no victim. He borrowed money. He paid it back, in some cases early, uh, at a handsome interest rate. 
the lenders had their own lawyers and their own appraisers as by law they were required to do so. So there is no fraud. No one has been defrauded. Uh, but also the whole thing has an Alice in Wonderland quality to it. The judge has already ruled that Trump and his family members are guilty prior to the trial. That seems backwards uh, to me. Uh, then, of course, uh, you still have the question uh, in New York, pardon me, in uh, Washington, D.C., where Special Counsel Jack Smith has charged uh, the president, uh, essentially claiming that he knew in his heart and his mind that he lost the election, but sought uh, in a conspiracy with others to cling on to power. Um, I don't believe the president thought at that time uh, or thinks today that he lost that election, was not in touch with him in that period, but I base my knowledge on the public reports of what he said at that time. How prosecutors intend to prove otherwise, that's an interesting question. Uh, a ray of uh, sunshine yesterday when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled uh, that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, uh, could not be used to keep President Donald Trump off the ballot. They rejected a litigation uh, with that claim. Uh, this proves uh, yet again that prayer does work, and every once in a while there is a bright spot. Meanwhile, Donald Trump continues like a juggernaut to gain political strength, uh, and to raise uh, millions more of small and medium-sized contributions. Uh, if I may editorialize here for the last two minutes, it's time to shut these Fox uh, Republican National Committee debates down. They're achieving nothing. They are a food fight. They are an embarrassment. Uh, Donald Trump only continues to gain by not participating. Uh, it is time to get all Republicans behind uh, the person who is not just the front runner, but the front runner by far. So I join those uh, who call on the Republican National Committee to cancel the upcoming uh, debate in Miami. Uh, it is time to unite this party around the strong front runner, the one and only Republican who has the toughness and the resilience uh, and the courage to take on the deep state. They're trying to lock him up because he's leading in the polls. They're trying to lock him up uh, and besmirch his character because he is leading Joe Biden in the trial heats uh, and in the swing states. Uh, that is uh, my editorial for the day. Uh, in the meantime, I am Roger Stone. This has been The Stone Zone. Very great thanks to my guest, Aviva Fry, bringing us the very latest uh, on Justin Trudeau's war of censorship against free expression, as well as his war against gun owners in that nation. Remember, folks, whatever happens in Canada, it's headed this way. Until tomorrow, I'm Roger Stone. Please uh, subscribe to our Rumble channel while you're at it so you can watch us there on a regular basis. Until tomorrow, God bless you and Godspeed. I'm excited to announce that you've all made my Pillow 2.0 a huge success. And with your amazing support, we've been able to expand my Pillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. And to make room for this, we're clearing out a line of our percale bed sheets. And to thank you, I'm bringing them to you at closeout prices. Use your promo code and you get my king size for only $39 a set. Queens, $35, Foles, $29, and twin size, just $25. I'm interrupted this commercial to let you know that we've received the last two shipments of these percale bed sheets and because of this i've been able to add more colors sizes and even prints and they're still at closeout prices so go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen now use your promo code and you'll get my king size only 39 dollars a set queens 35 dollars full $29 and twin size just $25. Order now. Once they're gone, they're gone for good.